who would have thought like watching this thing will actually like pay you off eventually <laughs> you start the company um, what was the background behind that i can tell like all those things like a sugar coated like yeah i wanted to be an entrepreneur i wanted to have a fancy life and that's why i started it but that could be a lie the only and the core reason i started my company is because i needed money what are some of the most fond memories that you think you can still relate so much so right so if you have seen like a bollywood movie in 90s you know like there's always a bad guy who doesn't actually like study but always like try to form a group <laughs> the leader of the group hi i'm salman hussain and this is my podcast beginners moonshot it's a show about entrepreneurs change makers and the misfits among us where we go deep into their untold back stories and crazy ambitions And in today's episode, I'll be sharing with you how an engineering graduate with no entrepreneurial background built the first digital agency in Bangladesh, and it's currently bootstrapping the fastest-growing travel tech startup in the country. Coming right up. The world is rich in its history and beautiful landscapes, making traveling a common part of everyone's lives. Around 1.5 billion international tourist arrivals were recorded in 2019 globally, and despite this massive interest, traveling can get tricky if you aren't experts at picking the best deals for our travel and hotel expenses. As a result, it creates a huge opportunity for travel agencies to swoop in and make the job easier for us. This is where Gozain comes in. Gozain is an online travel agency founded in 2017 by Ridwan Hafiz. Since the creation of his travel tech startup, Ridwan is changing the demographics for the whole industry in more ways than one. Having a degree in computer science from the leading engineering university in the country known as Buat and being a travel enthusiast himself, he knew the exact prerequisites to cater to the demands of the mass population of the country when it comes to traveling. He figured out early on that even though there are some travel agencies in Bangladesh to cater to the mass population of the country, there are none successful online. His startup Gozion recently raised 2.6 million dollars as part of their seed round for the next phase of expansion. And while generating 5x its growth in 12 months despite the pandemic, Gozion is on a mission to bridge the gap of the use of online travel services in the country. And today I'm really excited to have my friend the founder CEO of Gozain Ridwan Hafiz to join for a deep dive on my first ever episode of Beginner's Moonshot. Ridwan, welcome to my show and thanks for joining. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's actually good to be, good to be here with you and I wish you all the best with the podcast. I love the name. I I'm, I'm sure like it will be a big hit and I'm honored to be the first guest of Beginner's Moonshot. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I think uh, I think it's also easy for me as I was looking through my speakers list that I was thinking who could make a good fit for the first episode, <laughs> uh, who would be more easy to talk to because I think we go back uh, since 2010 when we first met when we were working at one of our uh, one of your early days in the nine to five before you became a full time entrepreneur. But we'll come back to your story. Let's let's start by something more basic. Um, what uh, does your typical day look like? share this with my audience first okay uh might be some boring for some of the audience but okay here we go so i wake up like i usually prefer to wake up very early that's like the most productive day of mine the productive time of the whole day so i try to get up like at 7 i always have my breakfast 
even before my first call even if it took 6:30 am in the morning i finished my breakfast 30 minutes before that i try to go for a run if i don't have any early calls so i try to do work from home from 6:30 or 7 to like 11 so i try to finish most of my work which that i need to do it a lot by this time and then i go to office so office of course like i love going to office uh, the work culture the, that we are have been nourishing people are great so i love actually like hanging out with them ideas are floating we keep working till like 6:30 and then we start playing like table tennis in the office so the entire landscape office gets changed and we play ping pong and then of course like i come back i spend time with my wife we watch tvs i try to play like playstation like every other day but yeah you can't do that always so yeah that's pretty much like my weekday of like every every weekday and uh, and in many of the things that you said already first of all your office sounds fairly fun i mean there seems to be a lot of play not just only work which is great <laughs> and we'll definitely come back to your uh, office cultures and and what you do uh, to really keep your uh, teams all excited about the work that you guys do but tell me some of your hobbies like what are some of your hobbies and then things that you really enjoy doing other than playing playstation or <laughs> ping pong hey i read books every single day every single day at least 30 minutes before i go to bed i try to read a book and maybe it's might might, might not be interesting for everyone but i try to read thriller book like murder mystery thriller and all those things and it's my common routine common ritual like every book i read it half then i write it down i try to solve the problem before author tells me well most of the time i don't get it right but this is like i try to do myself always like to increase my problem solving skill uh, awesome <laughs> i actually haven't heard anyone explaining to me their book reading habits like that so what are some of the books you've been reading lately uh right i just finished harlan coben's uh win uh harlan coben is my most favorite author in the world uh that's like his latest publication um i also like recently finished like last month one book from sherry lapena unwanted guest right now i'm reading go uh, go giver leadership which is a self help book uh yeah i try to finish at least one book in every week so if i understand so your habits are mostly into fictions and not necessarily non fiction is it that is it correct So you don't do any of those um, everyday non-fictions that are also mostly recently all is often shown as the bestsellers, <laughs> and then often people I, are kind of jumping into reading those. I know. I tried honestly. I, I, it doesn't get me excited. So one of the reason I watch book or watch like TV shows or play games is to reset my mind from work. So every day, like of course, like you work very hard and your mind gets blocked. This helps me to get refreshed. So. I want to stop forget about my work when I read a book or when I play a game or when I watch a TV show and that's the yeah. purpose uh, I I prefer fiction over non-fiction any given day Nice speaking of TV shows so I know that you know we probably all have been super uh, tuned to Netflix this whole past pandemic years so I'm I'm very tempted to ask you like have you already watched the Squid Game yet Of course I binge watched it in one day <laughs> So let's not let's not spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it yet. So, but uh, yeah, I just finished it today as well, and it's kind of it's crazy. Uh, it's probably one of the best thing that I've recently watched that is focusing on morality in ways that has had never been shown uh, in the TV recent in the recent years. So I think I think I found it to be amazing. But we'll come and, back to and, more and, on. And you know what? Yeah. Like it took a, it took the founder like ten years 
to get some recording studio actually like make it for netflix 10 years right. it was way ahead of its time yeah i think i think that's that's exactly what i was talking to my wife as well she was telling me this inside and i was like you know it's it's one of those really uh you know i would call this epic stories because uh, these people in these cases would completely just give up and then just would not even try doing it and for this guy maybe this was one of the early projects that he was starting to do and he really held on to it and then he just didn't want to give up because he somehow believed in that and i think his conviction may have resulted in him continuing to push even 10 years later and i think Absolutely. the rest is history right now uh, squid, squid game is one of is the, the most, most watched viewed. uh yeah. viewed um uh, series in netflix uh, so do you think there going to be a series uh, season 2 because the I ending so. was i think there was a cliffhanger So I yes. think so there will be a season 2 now. Cool. My wife really wants another season because she's not settled with whatever happened <laughs> at the end. So she's like she really really wants to go for a second one. But uh let's see. Let's see. But I think this was quite quite nerve-wracking uh, throughout the throughout the series as well and then a lot of twists and turns. So I would love to watch another series as well. Um speaking of uh, hobbies, so we haven't been able to travel a lot lately. But um you know now that the travel restrictions are being lifted and then certain countries are also already opening up for travelers um where are you planning to travel next as soon as you get to get a chance to move out so just like um just like last month sorry couple months back i went to us it's one of the country where they don't have like any restriction uh my family lives there so i wanted to see my brother whom i haven't seen in two years so it was very fun it was a very short trip but you know what the best part is like i did not have to wear mask going out i actually could go to the restaurants shopping mall not wearing mask so it yeah. felt it felt different to me we were like so blocked like this is like our new way of life that having experienced that that felt actually like bizarre to me so that's the last place that i visited and the next one i still don't know yet but yeah whenever i get the chance whenever singapore is open for bangladeshi that's the first place i want to go uh, when we can why singapore uh I got like 6 14 investors from Singapore whom I never met they just wrote check to me I want to go and thank them and actually have a beer with them Now let's uh, shift a little bit of uh, the gears backward I think um while a lot of the audiences would love to hear your success stories and the stories of you building businesses but I think what I'm more interested to know is a little bit about your early days in life um I want to go back all the way to your childhood Tell me about your childhood. Like, what was it like? Uh, who were you during your childhood uh, years, um, uh, as you can remember? Sure. Uh, so, to be very honest, my mom would be the right person to tell you the story, and her version probably will not fit my version. So, I think the neutral, the common ground. Like, I used to be like very, uh, you know, like what we call it nerd today, like Leonard from the Big Bang Theory. Like, always like <laughs> studied and everything. <clears throat> but that's like till i was in standard 5 after that like basically like when you hit puberty and actually getting more and you get to learn the new things about life i started like i remember like i, I was like a uh, role number 2 which is like the second boy in the class and eventually like in the next few years i got down to from 2 to 13 to 25 to 45 so <clears throat> that was like a downhill when it comes to like education but to be very honest that's the best part of my life because i was very mischievous I was very notorious not like Conor McGregor but yeah 
that's that's when I had like most of my funs in my school days, in my high school days. Um, so what? Like, so so okay. So uh, so what exactly were you good at during those school days apart from studies? And what are some of the things that you think you kind of are some of the most fond memories that you think you can still relate so much so right now? So if you have seen like a Bollywood movie in nineties, you know, like there's always a bad guy. Who doesn't actually like study, but always like try to form a group, <laughs> the leader of the group, who always try yep. to create a problem with the people who are trying to study. I was like <laughs> one of those guys actually, <clears throat> the leader of the group. Crazy. So, <clears throat> yeah, and when then, I look back and I I laugh like, oh man, crazy times. <laughs> but then, so, um, but then, did was there anything during your childhood? So sometimes, I mean, one things I. Uh, me and my wife often reflect specifically during the COVID as well is that many things that we often did in the you know early teenage years or even in the you know younger days in our life we at that time we had absolutely no idea why we were doing this or even in many cases people even told us not to do those but as we kind of try to connect the dots we see it is because of those reasons why you know we we are the way we are today and in many ways we're we're so happy for having done that. And yeah. it's those experiences. So any experiences like that, do you remember from your uh, childhood that you think really has contributed significantly, if not, you know, quite genuinely, you know, to, to your transformative, the person that you've become today? I'd like to share actually like two specific examples here. One is um, <clears throat> I have been a pro wrestling fan all my life. I've been watching wrestling since my childhood until today. Like I still watch wrestling. I go to see WrestleMania every year when I used to go before oh, COVID, nice. of course. Crazy. Uh, so in wrestling, we all know it's scripted, but there is a thing called wrestling, which is promo, which is like you talk, you talk about your trash, talk about your opponent, you build up with the crowd. Yeah. To be very honest, when I look back and I thought like that actually helped me, my English speaking skill a lot, that helped me to give actually good presentation, like great presentation, where you actually like delivered the punchline and people listen to you, captivate the audience. Who would have thought like watching wrestling will actually like pay you off eventually? <laughs> but with every of my previous like my analyzing life when I used to pitch, uh, with my Gozan life when I used to pitch to VCs, every time when I see like I always deliver some lights from wrestling, and I'm so glad that those people don't watch wrestling, so they think like these are like original dialogues. But yeah, <laughs> these are like very powerful ones. So, but, so yeah. So I just want to, so let me go back to the 90s then, because that's when I kind of, I think 90s were the last since I watched wrestling. And after that, I didn't quite follow. But who were you following that time? And who are some of those wrestlers that you would kind of, uh, you know, copy their dialogues? If, if and I turn show that into you this, this oh, probably wow. would tell you the rock? story. Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> when did you get that? So this is a cool one. It's the original rock insignia whenever he was in the wrestling yes. rounds. So this is the symbol actually represents Brahma bull, which uh, which is like the fighter bull. The spirit of bull actually like the legend goes like this. This bull can never, it can be put down, but you cannot keep it down. It always comes back up. So I believe wow. that motto in life, just like The Rock, who is one of my favorite personality. And yeah, yeah so I decided to get it done on my body. This is my first and only tattoo, uh, which I got, yeah. I, I got it done on 2017. Nice. 
No, I think this is this is really amazing. So if anyone who is a big fan of Rock or Rock himself <laughs> is accidentally listening to this, you have a big, big fan here in Bangladesh who literally ended up tattooing you uh, since 2017. <laughs> so a great shout out for that. Um, cool. Now... One thing I want to also kind of touch base uh, from the childhood because, you know, you are an entrepreneur today, you are building businesses, you know, you're employing people in one side, which is a big deal for someone, you know, to do because, you know, to be a sort of salaried man versus to be the person who provides for others is a completely two different, you know, journey. But what is your relationship with money? Uh, when was the la- first time in your life you actually made an income for yourself. Uh, do you remember your first income? I do actually. So uh, the first time that I actually like earned something, which is actually like you know, like in Bangladesh, like it's a very common thing for university students to go out and actually like teach the other other like younger students what we call it like tuitions. tuitioning tuitions exactly. Yeah. So that's how I I earned my first paycheck, and that's like I have done I have done that for like one year. Then I, I follow this guy, Dr. Mohammed Zafar Iqbal, a lot. I really have utter respect for him. So I read one of his books. And when he said, like, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I never had to do such low task like tuitions, like giving tuitions. Because the giving tuitions is actually like contradict your education system. The people, the students are actually like rather like put more effort on the home tutor than rather than on the school. And the school teachers, they actually like preferred the students to come to their home and actually like, you know, like earn extra money. So when I read that, and that's the first time that I realized like, hey, I don't want to do that. I love this guy. I respect this guy. So I don't want to do that. And that's when, when I was in my second year, I started doing my first part-time job, which is a data entry job, which is uh, at that time, like, you know, like the freelance Bangladesh thing is actually like getting very popular. So I got a job and I was like doing like job posting. There was this called uh, job site. They tried, they failed, called Chakri Bazaar. And I was actually, I, my job was to go to BD jobs, collect the jobs, and actually like, post it on the site. And I had to do that like six hours every day. That's my first professional income. And oh, just if I, if you remember, what was your paycheck like? How much did you actually earn for spending those six hours a day? So a monthly, uh, $140. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. So, so which which year was it? Uh, I think it was in uh, six, 2006. Nice. 2006. Cool. It's crazy because I think I also, I mean, my actually relationship with data entry go way back. So I was in my grade seven or I was already kind of into computers. Uh, I think I got my first computer back when I was in, uh, I was, in grade one or two and then I really was fortunate to have exposed to the very basic of computer that during that time early 90s and then and which resulted in learning many of those you know stupid basic softwares like you know Fox Pro and Visual Basics and all of that so I remember one time I actually had to do a I got a data entry job that got kind of outsourced to, to someone and that person further outsourced it to my brother who wow. was kind of <laughs> doing a computer course at one of his, you know, you know, internet cafes that time. And then, then my brother commissioned it to me half so that I can, you know, <laughs> do it in a much, I was cheap labor for him. So he would basically, you know, use me as a, like kind of a, even a super cheap uh, production for him. And then, and we ended up doing 20,000 entries and 
like really earned, I think my total income was right around like a few thousand taka. So it's probably not even $30, $40, which is insane. Like, but the amount yeah. of work I've done, I mean, <laughs> I just can't even imagine like, you know, what the world was like then. Um, but yeah, it was. But it was, see, I'm, I'm sure like starting that early, working that hard, that early yeah. made you the hardworking person that you are today. Today, like you can hard work, you can work like two, it's like what, 9.30 p.m. and you're still not tired. You're still like, you're like doing this show, doing this thing, you're still working. So this hardworking capacity probably was the seed was planted during that time. I, I would love to believe so. I think, I think that's probably true. And I think it also probably for me, I think it's the curiosity that has always given me more energy than only the work itself. So I was always curious. I just wanted to know what it is and then why people do this or how it's done. And, and I think that even like this podcast, it was always a curiosity. I mean, I literally bought all the podcasting equipments back in 2016. Uh, and I just couldn't start because I was so scared of starting in front of the camera or just doing it in public because I was always been the behind the scene guy. But it was until recently during the pandemic, I kind of said, you know, I have to hit myself in the head if it's come to my fear of coming in front of the people and I finally am overcoming that so it's my way of also kind of overcoming my fear of being in front of the camera or being in front of you know putting myself out there so I think it's it's all of that so it's not only the fact that you had your first income during the universities but you also sort of started your first company in the university days tell us about the company what was it why did you start the company um, what was the background behind that so um, I can tell like all those things like a sugar coated, like, yeah, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to have a fancy life and that's why I started it. But that would be a lie. The only and the core reason I started my company is because I needed money. We were not going through very well financially, family wise. We were, uh, we were facing a lot of downhills, which is happening. And I needed to provide like my basic need by, in, by earning something. And that's the only reason we started actually like analyzing. So the company that I was just telling you, like we were doing part-time jobs, my co-founder, Shumit, you know him. So he was the coder on that company and I was the data entry operator. And then I said like, hey man, we can do this. We can build our own job set and we can be billionaire. Internet bubble was happening all around the world at that time. So I, I asked him like, why don't we start something? Because this money is not going to cut it for me. I need more money. We need to earn more money. And the guy believed in me so much, just with one my one comment, I said, okay, let's do it. And we both left the job on like a, in one week notice, and then we started analyzing. So at that time, we did not know what we we're gonna do at analyzing. We thought like, hey, we're gonna do everything. We're gonna like build websites, and websites have a lot of demand, no one has websites. We're gonna be like web-based software. We, we, we tried everything. It did not, it took us like three years to actually like to finally find our sweet spot. We did earn some money, of course, while on um, project basis and everything, but we could not actually figure out like why, what is analyzing, why is analyzing exceptional? How can this company be like a hundred people company and what will be like analyzing will be known for. So you probably remember like in those days, like Facebook was actually getting very popular, Facebook page and at that time, desktop Facebook, you have like, you know, Facebook app, like you can build app within Facebook. And we thought like, okay, why don't we try it? And trust me, we owe a lot to you, the QB marketing team, who actually like 
gave us uh, like our first proper recognition, first proper job uh, in terms of app development in Facebook. And that was a big hit. You remember, like everybody loved QB. Uh, maybe like people forgot about the uh, company called QB existed, but no one forgot the marketing activities that QB did back then. So that happened. And then, of course, uh, the, only, the one campaign that put analyzing on the map was the Samsung campaign that we did called Rex Post, the very first ever online video production for, yeah, for Facebook, which we did a prank show, which became an instant hit. We didn't realize that it would be, and it became actually like larger than life. Like we were getting calls, we were getting uh, emails, everybody wanted to work with us, everybody wanted to try us. It was, it was mind-blowing experience for us. So from 28, the Rexpost happened on like, I think like 2011 or 12, from 12, I think. So it took us like four years to become actually recognized like, hey, there is a thing called digital agency because we started analyzing as a software company. Then we started calling ourselves as a social media agency. Then we started calling ourselves as a digital agency. And now finally, nowadays, like we call ourselves just an agency. That's it. Yep. Analyzing agency, simple. So this all like evolution actually like happened. It took us like four years of blood sweat to earn that respect from our clients. Yeah. No. So I think just to give a context to uh, so the anyone who is listening to this, um, when uh, Ridwan is talking about uh, the early days or getting the recognition from QB, I think we if you remember we only had Facebook groups were mostly popular then. Facebook page yeah. was a concept that they just rolled out. I think in two thousand and nine. <clears throat> Or in, yeah. And then Facebook was just starting out with the monetization locally and, 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 and for all the countries. Um, and at that time, nobody even knew how to manage a Facebook page because people were having so many followers on Facebook groups. But then you don't have to target the group users because it's easy. But how do you sort of create and get more likes? The whole like, you know, um, yeah. it was a big thing that time because it was like a kind of a dopamine effect that I have more likes than you, I'm, so I'm bigger than that. <laughs> and I think for us, uh, one thing we... At QB, we really did is that we tried to, to always experiment. And I think what really worked out great for us is that whatever we wanted to experiment, you guys were actually willing to try it out. And even if you didn't even know, you probably wouldn't tell us. We would just wouldn't go and try <laughs> fixing it. And I could tell that for sure because you know many things we even asked for, we didn't even know it was possible because when we were doing Facebook ads or Facebook campaigns, I think those were the f- sort of formative years for Bangladesh. And I think there was nobody who actually understood digital or social media the way you guys did. And, and that way, it kind of became a win-win. So whatever we think uh, uh, we were fortunate enough to do was because of the, the collaboration that we had with analyzing the team. But here's another insight that I want to bring out because I think it's people need to hear this. Yeah. Because up until now, while you're sort of talking about your entrepreneurship journey, which started during the university days, you actually were still having a ninety-five job, and it's not that you are full-blown entrepreneur yourself. So, tell us um, first of all, why did you decide to join the ninety-five corporate life after graduation, while you already had a business that was about to sort of take off, and and then eventually, why did you end up leaving? What was that sort of uh, pivoting uh, moment for you when you realized that okay, no, now it's time for leaving this? you know, nine to five and be a full-time entrepreneur? I was hoping that you would ask that. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the reason after I completed my graduation, I went to a nine to five job is because my business is not paying me enough money 
to actually like to believe in the business that, that someday it will be actually like a big something something big or not what so two things of course the money was a factor but also like i wanted to learn how to sell how the other aspects of works because i am a computer engineer academically although i don't know how to write a single line of code anymore but i chose to join a sales job in my 3 years of 95 career just because i want to learn about sales i want to learn about networking and i i said that i can learn more about marketing i just i just want to add a quick context again i think i didn't uh, mention this during your introduction so uh, ridwan is actually a graduate of uh, from the buet which is one of the you know prestigious engineering school in the country so he's being extremely humble for not quite mentioning his school but if you if you are you know getting into that school and graduating you're basically one of the top individuals uh, or graduates in the country so what is fascinating to me is that even after graduating from buet engineering uh, you know in you know, a school and also having built his company while being a student he's still considered to want to uh, focus on learning something that he didn't quite learn maybe as part of his you know those academic years so yeah so back to you sorry i interrupted but i think it was no, important no. for people to get the connection as to why you want to learn sales yeah thank you uh, so i always knew that the this job whatever job that i'm doing it's actually going to be temporary and i have to come back um, full time analyzing so to do that of course like how do i spend like the most out of it most of this those three three years i could have actually like gone to a like a, you know computer based job like a networking job or a software based job but that would not actually like help me any value in my analyzing because my partner is also the programming genius he knows how to code we were just like having trouble selling our products selling ourselves so i wanted to learn first hand i wanted to network i wanted to meet more people so that i actually can learn those things use those knowledge and bring back to analyzing and do it full time so on i i did my 3 years 9 to 5 job all in internet uh, internet companies at that time we did not call this ourselves startup but technically they were like the beginning of the startup of the of ecosystem of our ecosystem so i learned sales i closely worked with salman who used to be in the marketing team of qb and i i loved the concept of marketing oh man this is amazing this is where we should have been this is, should be our identity so once we realized that we were getting like a lot of customer request we know that okay it's time actually like to put the shoes off and actually so that actually i can actually like focus full time on my entrepreneurship career on my business so after exactly like 2 years 9 months i left everything and i came back to analyze and like back to home this is where i belong i think this is this is amazing and i think that's probably also we keep getting uh as a good validation from those who also build a lot of businesses as well when we see uh many of the people who have a 9 to 5 job they try to build something uh, as part of their sort of side hustle or 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 i i call it the 6 to 10 or sometimes till midnight um so those are the people who end up eventually when they know that they have enough traction they move to that but i want to ask a very interesting question at this point because um you're talking about 2000 and uh 11 12 when you full time quit 12 12 but from a from a from a culture where we are from in bangladesh um you know becoming an entrepreneur or starting a like a social media digital media company was not a thing that people could even understand what it really is especially to our family members our parents or anyone of that 
you know, uh, our elderly uh, in the society. Um, so how how would your parents at that point in time in your life would describe you? And what did they say when you, you know, their, you know, uh, their son who has been to, you know, Buet in top engineering school, then started his business, had a great, you know, corporate career, but decided to quit his job to do his business? Forget about that time. Like if you ask my parents, like what does Analyzen do? They won't still be able to explain you now. <laughs> so they always used to like introduce people. Hey, this is our son. He's from Buet. And he runs his own company. <laughs> That's it. They did not even explain like what Analyzen does. Because it was very hard for me to tell, sell to the elderly like what exactly like Analyzen does. Even today, to some people, hey, we are a digital agency. What is a digital agency? Like we have to tell them, like, hey, remember that ads that you see in Facebook, Google, YouTube, and all other platforms? We try to create those. We try to serve those ads. We create the, then we added like things like band strategy fancy words like, you know, like consumer acquisition, all those things. But till today, I still haven't figured out like how in one line that I can send tell analyzer, this is what analyzing does and everybody would understand. I haven't figured that out yet. If you, if your listeners can help me, I'm always open to suggestion. Sure. No, I think that's a very good, good, um, good way to engage with our audience as well. So anyone listening or watching this, I would love to, you know, have your comments to share with us. What would you do to explain your business? And also how would you help Ridwan to explain his parents? What exactly does he do? <laughs> so that'll be a great, uh, great to hear. So we'll definitely engage on that. Now let's uh, shift gears a bit and, and sort of come, uh, come down to where we are today. So 2021, we're still in the middle of the uh, pandemic, you know, somewhat opening, somewhat not, um, while some places are forcefully opening up because, you know, the industry is really affected by this. And and at, during this very time, you are also running your next entrepreneurship, uh, you know, gig, adventure or uh, um, endeavor, whatever you would like to call it. And, and that is GoZion. And uh, you have recently successfully raised, you know, $2.6 million as your first seed round, um, which has already, you know, not made a lot of us very proud to see another local startup has been, you know, successfully raising rounds, not locally, but globally. Um, but also I think it brings a lot of, um, sort of brings with a lot of confidence in the ecosystem that not only that it's really possible to, um, you know, build things in this country with the local talents, but also at the same time, uh, in a time that is like a pandemic. And what is very unique is that your business is in the business of, you know, tourism. Um, <laughs> so so tell us uh, what exactly is Gozian to my audience and uh, what exactly do you guys do and what are you guys currently working on? This one I can explain easily. So Gozian is a travel tech company that serves all your travel needs in your fingertips. Be it flight or hotel, just like Expedia for the world, Gozen is catered for Bangladeshi audience. <clears throat> so we started, so the, I just want to add like one thing, like uh, why I started actually like Gozen. So, and I would like to like add like one of my favorite, one of the most, one of the person that I look up to, Jeff Bezos. He always say like, if you are the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. And at analyzing, at some point of time, I realized that, hey, Probably I am the smartest person in analyzer and I'm not growing fast enough. I'm not growing. If you're not growing, you should you should definitely like change your career, do something else. Like you that actually help you grow continuously. 
So I all my life at Analyze and I have been helping major brands, multiple brands in multiple countries, Bangladesh, Singapore, Myanmar. Uh, but I wanted to do more and I wanted to create something which is scalable, something I wanted, let's just put it this way. I wanted to create my own brand. So it was not like that, hey, I needed to create a travel brand. And that's why I started Gozan. It's like I needed to do something. Hey, now look around. What do you see the problems that we have? Which is the problem that's not been solved yet? And then I picked tra and I picked travel because as uh, my family lives in US and I always have to travel uh, every, twice every year. And I know for a fact, whenever I try to book a flight from, let's say, New York to San Francisco, I have to like go to my friend and, hey, here's the dollar. Can I use your credit card? Because the credit card that we have in Bangladesh are not allowed to use in the global sites yet. It's, of course, the, as a country, we are still very early. That's a big problem. And I know for a fact, and in like most of the world, even in India, like you see the growth of Make My Trip, you always see the TV ads and everything. That's how travel works. That the revolution happened in 90s in Indonesia, a little later, but everything, everything is traveling online. Whereas in Bangladesh, whenever I needed a flight ticket, I have to ask my colleague. He needs to like call the travel agent. Then he emails. Then when I choose and then say, sorry, the price went up. Hey man, it's not my fault the price went up. So we did not have that convenience or anything. So that's that's a big problem for any Bangladeshi actually who actually like traveled outside the country. So that's when, okay, I found this problem taken from my real life. And rather than like, all I can do is like, you know, like whine about it. Like, hey, Bangladesh travel ecosystem is very bad. I decided, let me jump into it and actually like solve the problem. And hence the birth of Gozan actually came in. Um, your second the the question that you asked is about the pandemic of course like we started with like outbound flights mostly we were generating good traction growing very fast and then covid happened the whole world turned upside down we were the first industry that actually got hampered so all of a sudden like our revenue was growing this 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 and actually it went down to zero absolutely zero and we were like almost at the end of our cash cycle we were at the middle of the term sheet negotiation with a possible investor based in Southeast Asia. So they were supposed to offer us a good chunk of money to do the whole round. And then they decided like they're gonna hold it off because of COVID. That's not just one, actually two investors who actually like walked out from the negotiation. So we did not have any money. We did not know how to survive. So a lot of the people, a lot of my friends, acquaintance, they actually like suggested me, hey man, you should just like quit it. This is not going anywhere. This company is actually bleeding you, bleeding you dry. You should just go back and do your work at Analyzer. And that's a profit making machine for you. You're earning a hefty amount there. So let's just go there. Uh, I didn't want to quit. As I said, the spirit of Brahma Bull, I didn't want to quit. I wanted to actually like nice. fight for it. So the, not just me, the whole team, the whole team that we had, we could not actually pay them like proper salary. We, we had to like cut them like 50%, 0% for me, but 50% for them. But we tried to like, hey, what can we do? What will, at some point of time, travel will come back, but what can we do? And we tried, we pivoted, we tried different things. We knew for a fact that the, at some point of time, um, travel will come back, but first it will come internally, domestically. The international border will not be open. And so we started focusing on the domestic aspect. So. At that time, like people were allowed to go to office, but the buses were not allowed. Ride sharing was not allowed. So we tried a different service called just like a shuttle service. Like we take you to a very 
properly cleaned vehicle we take you to the office and then to your home to us for a certain amount of money we did that we were getting traction customers were coming but then we realized that okay hey it looks like the bangladeshi people will stop fearing the pandemic will stop fearing the covid this was our hunch this was our belief and we decided to shut down that business we shut down that vertical so my product team actually like were like very pissed at me like hey we worked very hard for 3 months and it's generating customer and now you want to shut it down but now it's very important in business to know when to raise and when to fold and that was a good decision for us to fold at that time we folded that and we started focusing on the domestic flight and the domestic hotel so eventually when the market got got open last year we started growing we started generating rocket ship growth so from that point of time no looking back i owe it to my team who did not leave the job even if after getting a lot of good offers who believed in the cause who actually like show the grittiest attitude that you actually can expect from the team and as a result here we are much we're doing much 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 better than what we used to do pre covid and not a lot of travel company can say that who have been actually like suffering through the pandemic in the whole world so i so, so this is this is fascinating yeah. and i think uh, you kind of uh, touched upon a couple of questions that i already had but um i want to go back a little bit more on the i want to start with the struggle so i think a lot of the uh, aspiring entrepreneurs who probably considering to build a business or currently struggling with their business needs to probably hear a bit more on this can you share like so what were those some of those defining moments for you during this pandemic time uh, as a business uh, for your survival and also for you know keeping all of your sanity in the sense that you know so that you don't lose focus and then you kind of persevere um so what exactly was the strength for all of the team members not just you with the the rock tattoo um on your hand uh, but but how did you manage that how did you sort of lift up your team in ways that um resulted in you guys instead of sort of being a sitting duck you actually as you said like you know you went to zero business then you were trying to pivot and then trying to find out other different verticals so what what started that and why do you think that was important for you guys at that point of time so to me the first and foremost important thing was to keep the morale up for the whole team so although like all not most of the time we did not have any work but we always like try to like you know like arrange zoom call where everybody comes in we walk we play murder mystery over zoom we played like you know like musical game who killed jessica games on all those things over zoom we try to keep the Give that even like when there was even there was a birthday like because we could not actually like cut a cake together like we came to Zoom and we tried to like sing and sing along the birthday song to that person. So even though like I was like I I lost sleep uh, for the first time in my life for months I could not sleep properly but I never let my team actually like see that side of me. I hope like if they're gonna see this show and they'll know that hey man I actually like I suffered a lot of trauma. at that time but yeah i tried to always like you know like push the belief in them like hey this is like the worst your back is against the wall so there's only one way which is forward and we actually can do that so the pivotal moment of course like we made the floor open just like an advertising agency so we formed like small small teams and we said like hey we're going to run a contest you come up with an idea like what do what should goes and do any wild idea is welcome 
And we got ideas like, hey, we need to sell hexasol or hand sanitizers like this way. We had ideas like, hey, why don't we do an ambulance service like we, within an app? You just call an ambulance and ambulance will come to your doorstep. Uh, online diagnostics, so many things. Private tours, only like 20% of them are were like related to travel. But the, the good part is that everybody uh, uh, took a deep dive and everybody tried to come up with an idea. How can we survive this? How can we just make this company survive? How can we come up with an idea that will actually eventually flourish? So while keep digging, everyone was working because it's very important that you need to work. Otherwise, like you would be frustrated, of course. And you can't actually like function without like if your mental health is not 100%. So while doing this one by one, one by one, this time the hotel idea came in. We realized like most of the hotels in Bangladesh are not online. Like we realized, hey, right. If you want to go to like Fox's Bajar, uh, which is like the Bali of Bangladesh. So you want to book a hotel, you have to literally like call the hotels, like two, three hotels and try to see the availability. So we decided, why don't we try this? This is related to travel so that investors will not say like, hey, you guys lost focus 100%. This is also like travel and let's try that. So we tried that. So we tried a lot of things, but this is the one thing that actually we saw traction, we saw demand. We saw people searching for it and we saw people were actually booking it. So I remember like on the very beginning, the first hotel sales that we did. So it was like the, we gave, a, we created a panel. We tried to connect with the hoteliers over Zoom. Like, hello, this is how the system works. You should use it. This is for your benefit. So they started using it. And the first time that one sale happened, it's like one guy who booked at like 3 a.m. in the morning, who was actually going to the resort at like 9 a.m. So we woke up and we saw, hey, we got like a sell, our first sell. And when is this guy customer is going to check in? Like in a few hours. Just immediately, like we were like rushing, call the hotel, hey, is it okay? Like this is our first customer, please make sure that you serve him right. Everyone was like super excited. And from that moment on, we never had to like look back. So now we know what we want, how to think, how to think clearly. We still, before that, like at the time, we had like 90 ideas. But we had to pick the right ones, which is right suited, which is not perishable for us at that moment. Because, okay, some ideas we can do it later, but these ideas, we have to do it now. So we tried a few things. Some of the things did work, some of the things did not. But the ones that did work, we tried to bang on those ones. We tried to generate more growth and we have been generating growth uh, till then. So, so I think... That's that's I really like the story of you know getting booked three in the morning and your first customer and then serving the customer in a few hours. I probably would love to know more about that customer someday, but how it was the experience. I think uh, so. Right now, um, how much of your business is focused on domestic travel versus international travel? And as you were talking about the traction, because it looks like that. So what you're sharing is that you went through. You know, countless iterations and then pivoting during this pandemic itself, uh, in terms of how you try to explore different ways of monetizing and staying sort of afloat. Now that you have sort of sort of stabilized your focus, where you're trying to generate money from. So, what's your current mix is like? Uh, what type of tourists are actually using your platform to book the, you know, their tours? And 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 what's next for um, Gozayan as the world is opening up? So as of now, our 90% focus, or to be very honest, like 95% focus is still on the domestic travel. International border is open only to a few countries, but not something that we are actually like focusing a lot. We're just getting like 
organic customers who are like purchasing international tickets. But at that moment, we're only focusing on like the domestic space. So per flight, which is our flagship product, then the hotel, which is our fastest growing product. And the next thing that we are trying now is actually like what's next for travel. So if let's say if you're going for a leisure travel, Cox's Bajar, you book a flight, you book a hotel, now what? What will you do in Cox's Bajar? So we tried to bring, we tried to create a platform for activities, more like uh, the Kluk of Bangladesh or like uh, TripAdvisor. So where we try to bring like local cater, like local activities, bring them into platform and try to help them sell their products. Whereas for us, our customer gets like multiple products in one platform. Now imagine we have one product where you actually can go in Cox's Bajar in the deep sea at a boat and you can actually like, you know, like uh, you can enjoy a live experience with the fisherman by catching fish with the net. And that will cost you only like 500 taka per person. That's it. So this type of things like that, those were like, the, the market is very unorganized. It's not very, uh, not very structured is there. So our, one of the key focus is going to be like, how can we actually like structure this market and actually bring these things more into online? It reminds me of um, the Airbnb. So Airbnb also had to pivot themselves as well. So originally they were just simply renting, you know, people's homes and, and, and rooms and all of that. But then they realized the whole travel experience actually starts when you get out of the room that you booked or you checked in. And that's when the Airbnb, you know, Brancheski talks about this uh, in in several podcasts about how they wanted to create an experience. And then that sort of started the Airbnb experience. So, and I feel that given that there's the market is very fragmented and doesn't really have that much of digitization yet, you kind of got the first mover advantage to sort of build that experience for Bangladesh where Airbnb experience doesn't exist, I am assuming. And, and, and there's no one else who's really trying to cater to that. So which is really fantastic. So as far as the experiences are concerned, what is the most crazy experience one can book right now using Gozai and in any of the travel destinations in Bangladesh? So we have this uh, mountain walk, which is in Silet. So which is like in between, like that's like very in the border of India. Like there are like two mountains and between them, there is like a, you can actually like put on a harness and you actually can glide from one mountain to another. Wow. So you have to climb like uh, 600 meter, get your harness on, and then you have to like glide through. Ah, so it's, like a, using it's a like a rappling, like a, you have to zip line? It's like a rappling, it's not zip line, it's like a rappling. So you have to like, ah, okay. you have to like with, use it with your hand. Oh, wow. It's in Bangladesh. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Like I would love to actually see it. I haven't seen this kind of stuff already opening up. So that's, that's I, I think I would call that a great, great experience. Uh, you have already people going there already? Oh, yes, we so we took actually like only a few dates. We tried that, but so on the first few dates, we actually got sold out. Nice. So we are actually, it's, it's actually like not like an event which is present like every day, but every month, like on every weekend, we try to do this. Nice. And all of this are done by independence, or are you guys arranging it yourself as part of GoZion? No, so it's actually like either the tour operator yeah. or an independent who actually can host the tour can work as a tour guide, something like that. Yeah. Or in some cases, some organizations as well. For example, there is this, many people probably doesn't know, like in Cox's Bajar, you have a uh, double-decker caravan, which actually like gets you like a, like, a, like a full day trip and actually like provides you meal, which is a very beautiful bus. Those bus is actually like one of our hot selling product in terms of activities uh, 
at Gozayam. Nice. Now, I think what I also want to share probably, you know, I think definitely hearing about some of these great uh, success stories is, is really great inspiration for anyone listening to this. And I think it gives a lot of confidence for anyone who is eyeing on, be it, you know, traveling in Bangladesh for just to see what people are doing or any investors who is looking to, you know, you know, you know, bring in more investments for the Bangladesh because there's just so much yet to be done and the market is just a blue ocean right now. But tell us a little bit about some of the still, the challenges that are still there in the in the market. Some of the, you know, challenges that you guys have to face because of many, you know, lack of infrastructure or regulations that's, uh, that often gets in the way to do things in a more natural manner. So you have to go through 10 hops instead of two uh, in order to get one thing done. So what are some of the key challenges that Zion is currently facing and that you think would be required for um, the, the the government, the anyone who's involved into this industry to fix, to make sure that we can accelerate the growth in this industry? <clears throat> so one of the common challenges that we have been facing, so of course it got reduced a lot, which is like hoteliers, some of the salesperson because they work on incentives. So let's say someone, you browse Gozan, you see a hotels, but just to oversure, you also call the hotel to compare the price. And the person who receives your call to earn his own incentive, he tries to undercut the room rate. And they say like, hey, why don't you come directly and we will give you like uh, 1% less price. So we faced that a lot in our early days of hotels. But, uh, and as a result, like we had like, seven percent we started with like seven percent like involuntary cancellation where people booked but the hotel did not provide us the room at that time even though like they allowed the inventory so but the good thing is like we have been very strict with the hotels once we generated business for them they have they're getting more loyal to us so if some hotels like hey we if we found out like some hotels did this our diligence team actually found that out we immediately like suspend them for three months after doing a few test times now Finally, for the first time ever in the month of September, we had like zero hotel cancellation, zero. So we had been managed to solve that. So the, the problem that I was trying to under, under uh, I'm trying to uh, state here, like people are still very short-sighted. The people who are working in the travel sector, like they think of like, okay, my this sale, this particular from customer, I'm earning one person more or like two person more. But he's not thinking like for this customer, I'm losing Gozayan which will actually like which can actually give me like 200% more customer in the next couple of years so because the market is fragmented both for tours and hotels so this is a very common problem that we face uh, this is just like a people's mindset we need to change it we need to be more service oriented we need to be more futuristic that's for us in the government aspect yes we have still have a major problem which is uh, when it comes to like international hotel, like for flight, it's easier because there uh, we can take the local currency from the people and we actually can pay in local currency. Whereas in hotels, like let's say if we connect Agoda, Expedia or like a booking.com in our platform, we have to pay this like to them. It's, a, it's like a foreign currency. So in Bangladesh, we cannot actually like do that properly. Like the way is like you have to like pay 20% extra to government tax and then 15% VAT on top of that. And then and you barely get like 10% margin. So you cannot pay like 20% or 15%. 
So as a result, most of the Bangladeshi people, when they book hotel, what they do, they book through booking.com, but they book there, but pay at the property. Or even like not everyone has a credit card. We only have like 3.5% people have access to credit card. So they carry cash and they actually like pay it at the property. As a result, the government is not getting any tax out of it. This is absolutely being dealt with cash. While we cannot do that because the margin actually, it, it actually kills us. It actually like leads us. So do we only allow folks to actually like, they can actually buy international hotel dinner platform. If you are using a foreign credit card or a different credit card, you're not a Bangladeshi who needs a permission to do that. Okay. So if it's a foreigner, then you can do that okay? because they don't have to report to Bangladesh. So which is not the ideal way. So at some point of time, we have been working with Bangladesh Bank very closely, but at some point of time, someone from the policy policy team needs to find out like, hey, we're losing money as a country. So this need, there needs to be a solution where people like us can actually solve this problem for you so that the Bangladesh can keep that money. Bangladesh can earn uh, taxes from those money. This is actually, this is for hotel, for experience. Like when you go to Pattaya, you try to skydive, you book maybe like a different websites, not in a Bangladeshi websites because of that regulation problem. True. No, I think uh, you remind me. So before I moved to Bangkok, so uh, my wife and I were always traveling and we had so many challenges sometimes to even book um, because even if you want to book, you know, there was a limited amount that you can actually book per night, per transaction. So even transactions had a restricted amount. I don't even know what happened during the COVID times as well. So um, that probably always stopped us from, you know, even using our local cards for local currencies and we're only paying it in cash, as you said, which often people even just simply, you know, you know, instead of getting those, buying those dollars from the banks, people would probably just kind of go and buy it from the local, you know, currency shops or like some exactly. uh, illegal places where they just don't have to even pay the additional uh, taxes to the government. Um, so I think definitely that's something we we definitely need to change. But w- but then what's next? So now that uh, the market is finally warming up to travel, people are dying to travel. Um, what are you expecting to see happen? Let's say in the next couple of years, uh, while we are still going to recover from the pandemic, how do you see the travel businesses kind of? Um, What's the outlook of travel business in the next uh, three to five years? So, as you mentioned, uh, people are dying to travel. If you ask anyone in any part of the world, what will you do when the COVID is gone? Every, I probably like 99 out of 100 people will say, I want to travel. That's it. Simple as that. People are dying to travel. Second thing, in Bangladesh, we know for a fact that our economy has been growing. Our GDP per capita has been changing and we are we crossed India like a couple of years back, and it's and if you look at the history, any country when the disposable income started growing up, the country's travel sector always grew up. It's like it's reciprocal. It, they actually like like this grows up, that goes up. It's always happened. It happened in China, in US, in Indonesia, in India, and the same thing was just started happening in Bangladesh. And when that COVID came in, so when that goes out, when the border gets open. We're expecting to see a lot of outbound travels, a lot of domestic travel, because I know, like, of course, for a fact, not everyone can travel like thrice per year outside the country, but people travel within the country a lot more than what we think. So, like, even now you go to Cox's Bazaar on a weekend, you barely can actually like find a room if you don't book early through Gozaya. 
if you try to book a resort like outside Dhaka on a weekend morning to go to the following day, you won't be able to like actually find it. And there is 1000 plus resorts only in the Dhaka, greater Dhaka periphery. And like 40% of them actually came up in the last three years. So we are just like expecting, we are praying like, hey, this let this that there be not any more waves. Let the vaccination be done properly, and the world gets open. And it's actually good for everyone, and of course, good for our business. And do you see yourself expanding in other markets as well, or you're still going to be based in Thailand? I was in Bangladesh. Sorry, I keep saying Thailand because uh, I'm based in Thailand. Sorry. Uh, I have a class that I am not allowed to talk about it yet, but yeah, good things are coming. Very interesting things are coming, which is going to be very good for the Bangladesh ecosystem. Plus, plus. Nice. I think that'll be awesome because, um, and I think what I also see is a great opportunity is that many of our, you know, foreigner friends who often we even refer them that you have to go to Bangladesh. If you go to Bangladesh, you have to go there and you have to experience this or that. If all of this can be, you know, captured in that kind of a travel platform so that We'll be able to just even tell them that go to the travel platform. That's exactly how you book your travel. It's all guaranteed. You can use your international credit cards or whatever it is. So you don't have to worry about, you know, your money being getting stuck somewhere. And also you actually get, you know, uh, experiences as well that you can book uh, with great ratings you can choose from. So I think definitely you guys are onto something. This clearly, uh, I can't wait to see uh, what's next for Go Zion. Um, so I think let me um, move to the last uh, part of the session where I want to kind of um, ask you a few rapid fire questions and then feel free to answer as, as you know straightforward as you want and then there's no right or wrong answers to this. So I think my first question would be a bit probably philosophical, but I think I still want to get it out, which is what's your purpose in life? Uh, to create something that that will be remembered even after I'm gone. Okay. And what was the most epic of all failures that you had so far in your professional life? I when I was started analyzing, I created a company called Search. I cre- I bought a domain and I tried to create a company called SearchMyFlight.com. I thought like I could build an OTA back then, so that failed miserably. I did not know how it worked back then. Um, what does money mean to you, especially, you know, being us millennials, um, what's the definition of money to you? Uh, money can buy you time and that time can buy you happiness. Money cannot buy you happiness directly, but with money, you actually can save time and you can actually can do things that you like. To me, that's why money is important. Um, what advice would you give, uh, to aspiring entrepreneurs who is considering to start a business right now? Uh, don't think about like all the problems at the same time. Find the one problem that you actually can solve it for. That's it. So when I speak to like the early stage, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're trying to do a lot of things. That's exactly like what I tried to do a couple of years back. And I know for a fact, focus on the one thing that you actually can solve. Focus on that. Great. If you, if you had a, if you could have a billboard, uh, with anything, uh, on it, Oh, what would it be and why? Uh, so just I mentioned earlier, if you, are, uh, if you are like the best person in your organization, switch your organization, switch your career. If you're not growing, switch it. 
do something else so you'll put that on that billboard yes because a lot of the time i see like people are always like very lazy they're getting like let back getting used to it they're not like taking any challenge i know a guy who bought a podcast equipment couple years back but actually like was getting very lazy and finally he decided <laughs> to do something about it sure sure okay that that hurts but uh <laughs> um if you could go back in time and talk to your 18 year old self what would you tell him um don't just work on advertising although i loved working on advertising but start building something and if i if i could go back now i would have told him build something payment related build something fintech build a big cash at that time i can have a whole conversation on fintech for some on the day but i don't want to get started <laughs> on that so i think that kind of also is my second next question uh, for you to kind of maybe build on that which is if you had 100 million dollars um to spend uh on changing one industry in the country uh that you think is very critical for the future of um what we will become eventually uh no red tapes no bullshit basically is getting in the way for you to you know um, suffer as you try to solve that what industry would be and what are you going to do in that i'm going to be biased here so i'm going to pick travel so not just me like the entire all the players to build ecosystem see travel is the only one vertical where you have 13 different companies may working in the public market it's only the one vertical every country that started growing the first ever unicorn from a country is usually a travel company bangladesh is beautiful we did not market it right never marketed it right because we don't have the infrastructure so 100 million dollar into bangladesh travel ecosystem we get more inbound traffic bangladesh becomes indonesia bangladesh becomes better than like miami florida so that's something that i want to build uh, before i die awesome um and that brings me to the next question which is then what do you think of the world would look like 5 years from now and if you want to see it from a travel lens um <laughs> so five years from now uh to be very honest if i look at now and if i look back like five years i did not expect a lot of things which are happening in the world that i would have thought that this would be here so next five years it will always be a surprise the only thing the only regret that i have like i was a back to the future avid fan a lot of the things did not happen that they promised like the flying cars and flying yeah. hoverboards I want to have those things in the next 5 years. I always want to have sure. those things. Sure. Well, I mean, you never know. I mean, like I didn't imagine a civilian, you know, all civilian astronauts going to the space, spending 3 days and coming back, you know, in one piece and then it's I think it's that's an amazing feat for the space industries and then also um I mean, there's actually a lot of those companies who are promising to bring the first flying, you know, um taxis and and cars uh, in the next you know 3 to 5 years some will require certain regulations to you know allow them to do that but i think you never know and maybe hyperloop is also almost ready so i guess they will also start doing their first route uh, in the europe and in the us as well so that'll be one to see um my next question would be um if you had if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life what would that be <laughs> don't judge me uh rice well in bangla bhat alu bhatta dim bhaja so egg potato smash potato nice. with rice it sounds good i think i can do that but just not the way but well anyone who is listening they're probably thinking okay so this carb and this carb and then there's protein so it's like <laughs> so it's like too much carb so 
Okay. Um, uh, tell me about the three most influential people in your life and why were they influential? Um, on personal level, it's just my mother because I, I always have this tendency to prove to her that she can be proud of me because she always wanted a son who's like works in Google, Microsoft, stays in US in the suburb with a house, with a wife, with a dog and everything, which she did not get it from me. So I always like have this always this tendency to prove to my mother, hey, look what I have done. Can you be a little bit more proud to me? So that need actually like helped me grow a lot because of my mother. And of course, like she means the world to me. Um, second, of course, is my brother. We were very competitive from the very beginning. He's like the most important person in my entire life. Your um, elder brother? So or we were always younger um, a younger brother. Yeah. So, but we were like very competitive. We always used to play like cricket, football, NFL, rugby, wrestling, everything. And we always needed to win. That made me very, very, very competitive from the very early childhood. It made both of us very competitive. Now, moving back to family, outside world. Uh, so I'll pick actually like two people here, uh, Dwayne Johnson, and you're going to judge me all of you want, the Bollywood 90 superstar, Shahrukh Khan. Okay. These two guys actually like came from literally nothing. They were like at the lowest point of their life, and still they actually like made it big. And their sarcasm, their weed, their charismatic personality, the one, the ability to do more things, always inspired me a lot. I think I totally agree with. I think those people have some remarkable stories as to how they built it literally from nothing. I think for me, at least growing up, I always feel that behind every single successful entrepreneurs, there are you know some you know real life mentors who mentored them, who really often helped them, you know answer questions or get a direction for something that they often don't know. And those people don't even have to be the smartest, smartest people in the world, um, but they end up becoming the most you know, crucial professional mentors. So do you have any professional mentors? If so, who is that? And why do you think that person was so important for you as well? Um, I would actually like to mention two people here. One from my early days when I used to do my nine to five job. This guy who used to work at my previous company, not in QV. So he's the one who always like say like he always had the right answer for me like hey you are meant for something bigger leave this job do whatever you do whatever you're trying to build do that he's the one actually like pushed me out of the door the final push actually came from him and whenever even today like I have any problems that I don't find answer to I actually like reach out to him so he helps me a lot his name is Saif Saif Bhai but uh, in the last one year I found a really a very interesting life coach who has been my advisor in my business and as well as in my personal life, who is the CEO of Airbnb China, uh, one of the Airbnb execs who joined our round, who joined actually like early, um, like 10 months ago, but we spend like a one hour every other week. And I just like ran my problems. I bent my problems, be it business, be it personal to him. And he has been very calm and very helpful to him. So I owe everything to whatever success that we have achieved a lot of them credit goes to actually to him Kum Hong. right so i think just for the listeners so uh, during the recent uh, seed round of the 2.6 billion dollars apart from the wave maker partners uh, the the ceo of airbnb china actually also joined as one of the investors as well so that's and what, also uh, the former managing director of airbnb asia pacific nice yes i didn't know about that so that's a good insight as well 
Awesome. I think I think you're definitely in in, in good hands. Um, my last two questions. So uh, last one before I ask a question for my um, listeners uh, is would be if you could be remembered for one thing, uh, what would it be? Simple. Goes on. That's it. That's very powerful to me. I think you know you're pretty much then you found where you want to belong. So uh, I think all the best on that. Last question. So I'm sure by this time, anyone who is listening to this home and abroad um, might be interested to reach out to you in some way or the other. So you, if they have to follow your work, if they have to find you anywhere online, where they will find you online and how they can reach out to you. Um, I, I stopped using Facebook like last year, uh, but I am on Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, Ridwan107 is my handle. So feel free to reach out always. Or if you can actually like book a ticket at Gozayan and actually like write a no special note that you want to talk to me, I'll definitely would love to, I will reach out to you. Nice. So I think that's, that's I think that's a great gift for anyone listening to this. So anyone listening to this, if you want to connect with Ridwan, whether you want to just know about his business or maybe uh, grab a cup of coffee or a drink whenever you're traveling with him, whether it's in Bangladesh or in Singapore or in the US, make sure to book your trip with Gozayan next and you write a notice if you want to talk to Ridwan. Ridwan, thank you so much for your time. I think this was probably one of the best, uh, you know, really wholehearted conversations I had in a while, um, especially connecting with you after so many years. Uh, after actually I moved to Thailand, it was very um, difficult in the first two years, really bogged down with work and then really didn't get much chance to, you know, reconnect with the friends and when things really started, you know, the pandemic started, you know, extending for too long. That's when I reconnecting with all the people. And that sort of often, you know, was the main driving force behind starting this podcast, which I wish I started, you know, <laughs> two, three years ago. But uh, I'm glad that it's finally, you know, happening. So thank you so much for, again, um, making your time uh, from your very busy days. And you're not so public person. You're always, you know, minding your business and doing your thing without trying to come in front of the public. But uh, you made a difference for me. So that means so much to me as well. And I can't wait to see where Gozayan goes next. And whenever I'm coming to Dhaka next, I'm definitely, you know, grabbing a proper coffee with you in person. Thank you very much, Salman. It's a pleasure actually like being here. And you're right, like it's a very hard to conversation. And I hope the listeners will love it. So all the best to beginners mentor. If you like this podcast, it will mean a lot if you drop a review, which will help me reach more awesome listeners like yourself around the world. If you have also suggestions for future guests, please do share in the comment section below. And finally, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast for your weekly episodes of Beginner's Moonshot. I'll see you next week.